My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 16 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast sponsored by Chorus. How's it going everyone? I hope training is going well and the time out running is helping to keep the body and the mind in good shape in these tricky times. Simon Kelly from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival is first up and he has all the latest news on the racing calendar including a date for the upcoming IMRA AGM and his own thoughts as a race director going into 2021. Our expert trail running coach Rene Borg from runningcoach.ie takes a real deep dive on the anaerobic training system and how important it is and how tricky it can be to get the training in that zone done in the right way and for this week's special guest interview we're going to talk to Michael Kelly Michael struggled for a number of years with alcoholism went to some very very dark places but thankfully managed to turn it around and he became the Irish senior mountain running champion and went on to run for Ireland on numerous occasions it's sometimes a sad story but it's also a story full of bravery hope and strength Everyone, get your running gear on, let's go. everybody welcome to episode 16 of trail running ireland the podcast really delighted to have you on board with us again this week and before we kick things off with simon a special shout out and a thank you to our new show sponsor chorus chorus who have made a massive impact on the global gps watch market over the last number of years and we're really excited that we're in the process of lining up some special interviews with two superstars of trail and ultra running over the next couple of weeks two chorus athletes so stay tuned for that if you're not familiar with the chorus range of watches make sure to check out their new uk website uk.chorus.com and you can see details there of their range their range of watches such as the pace 2 the lightest gps watch ever made the chorus apex which won the 2019 runners world gear of the year award and the chorus vertex which was awarded the 2019 best altimeter watch by outdoor gear lab for example their watches have over 50 different watch faces and they've just released a new firmware as well which includes several new water sports modes so something for everybody there really really are guys top quality watches so make sure to check them out without further ado let's dial in our man on the ground and kick off the show with simon kelly Good to have you on board with us again this week. How are you keeping, mate? Oh, good. Um, particularly under the circumstances, I have to say, I'm enjoying the last couple of weeks. I know. And we're getting closer to Christmas, uh, Simon, as well. I've been saying that to the kids and to the family here to try and help keep us going over the last couple of days. So something to look forward to, hopefully. Hopefully. And if we can get a little bit of movement in and we can be a bit responsible as well. I mean, I, I probably use that word too much in terms of responsibility. But if we can just see a few people around Christmas, I think that would be great. And that's this, these level five restrictions will be all worthwhile. 
Yeah. And speaking of movement, there's a little bit of movement on the racing calendar assignment as well. We've got no results to report on this week, naturally, but we do have races who are beginning to get organized for next year. And that's certainly given me a bit of hope and something to look forward to. But I think you wanted to mention, first of all, the IMRA AGM. Certainly, yeah. The IMRA, obviously, Irish Mountain Running Association, integral to trail and mountain running here in Ireland. Um, they've announced that their AGM is going to be on Saturday, the 28th of November at four o'clock. Now, it's going to be on Zoom, so it's a great opportunity if you haven't been able to get there in person. Um, I hope it'll obviously bring it to a next level, get loads more people involved. And the more people that can have input into these member organizations, because this is open to all members, they have a couple of thousand members. And um, so anyone can get involved. Now you do need to register in advance so they can send you the login details for the Zoom call and also manage the numbers. So do go on imra.ie and if you can attend and make it, we all, I'm a member myself as well so that I can run some of the races, um, we all have input and it's our time to have our voice heard um, and also to hear a little bit more about what goes on in the background and, as I've said before, the Trojan work the committee do there. Yeah, they've had a tough year, Simon. I know from talking to some of the committee members, it has been tough for them in terms of just, you know, manpower and, and hours that they've had to put in trying to reschedule races. I know financially they're impacted as well, of course, without being able to have their Leinster Leagues, their Munster League races and so on. So it's been a very, very tough year. So we wish them well as they get ready for that to end out the year. And then looking ahead to 2021, Simon, what news is there on races that are beginning to get ready for next year well there's one race actually still scheduled for this year and it's the dublin mountains trail running festival now originally it was the 27th and 28th of november they have obviously had to postpone that they've got a provisional date in of the 11th and 12th of december but it is very much watch this space i'm entered in one of the events so i am getting the emails and the updates and um, but 11th and 12th of december is the current date now, they may have to move it depending on, you know, what word comes down from the government, what kind of restrictions are and the feasibility of actually having the event. But 2021 is looking good. Um, a few places and, and races now scheduled. Obviously, many are waiting to make that call. And the year is going to open with one of the most uh, coveted races in the trail, kind of long distance trail. It's the Art O'Neill Challenge. Now, this is a running and also a walking um, event. It is a challenge. They've put out a provisional date of the 8th or the 15th of January. Now, the Art O'Neill starts in Dublin Castle, and it's in honour of Art O'Neill, who escaped from Dublin Castle and ran out into the Dublin and Wicklow Hills to escape. Unfortunately, he, he perished in the, in the Wicklow Mountains, and this is in honour of him. It's 63K, I think. Now, I'll be probably wrong in that and corrected. Um, but it's interesting, the way they've approached the restrictions in terms of announcing this, it is a fundraiser for the Dublin Wicklow Mountain, um, uh, Mountain Rescue. But what they've done is they've just come out and said, this event will only proceed under level one or level two restrictions. If it's level three or above, it will be cancelled. The cost is 140 euros to enter. 50 euros of that is a non-refundable refundable deposit. And then the balance 90 is the event fee. So if the race is cancelled, you get your 90 euros race fee back. 
and you will be posted your goodie bag as a goodwill, but the 50 euros will be non-refundable and will obviously go to the mountain rescue team. So I think it's just great that they're being so open and you know what you're getting when you're signing up. You know what the uh, outcome is going to be depending on the restrictions. And I find it's really clear, open, eyes wide open and obviously great for the mountain rescue team there as well. Yeah, a good race and a good cause, Simon, by the sounds of it. Another one that you mentioned, Simon, in the notes that you sent me over just before recording was the last man standing. Something that I hadn't heard of before. What exactly is it? Well, I need to even correct myself and say it's the last one standing. It was a last man standing before, but they've changed it. And it's going to be a bit of a kind of a letdown because you do know the format it's the format of the Backyard Ultra. They just call it the last one standing. And this is taking place uh, 13th of February in Florida Manor in County Down. So this is the one lap every hour, keep going until there's no one left. And that's why they're calling it the last one standing. It is a qualifier as well that there's a golden ticket for the last one standing at that event and they will get an automatic guaranteed entry into Big's Backyard Ultra over in Laz's backyard. So it's the 4.1 mile loop and 6.7K taking place on the 13th of February. So you do know the format. Okay. And is that the last team standing? The last team standing, Simon, is then, that then a different date later on in the year? Yeah, so they've come up. This is new for this year. From It's the guys in Atlas Running, actually, that organise it. So they're doing a team event. And I think this is born out of this year, the um, Bigs Backyard Ultra. They had teams of 15. So this time, the last team standing that they're doing as an event, it's six team members. And the idea is it's the combined total number of laps. So it's a new event for them. They're putting it on on the 15th of May. Again, it's going to be Florida Manor County down. And it's the same challenge again that you do run one lap every hour, keep going as long as you can. But it'll bring in that new dynamic of having six team members. They're all working towards the cause. They're all motivating each other. And again, it's nice just to have a new and different event on the calendar. No, very good. And so I, mean, I know you have your own race, of course, is scheduled for next May, the bank holiday weekend next year. As a race director yourself, Simon, now, how are you feeling? Are you, are you feeling positive for next year? We had news, of course, of a potential vaccine there last week. Did that put you at ease or are you confident that the race will go ahead next year? Or is that even a silly question at this stage? I find the best approach is to be blindly optimistic, but be prepared for failure. So, I mean, I just keep focusing on the race as I see it at the moment. It is progressing. Everything is happening. Numbers wise, I have no control over the pandemic, unfortunately. But what I can do is just control my motivation to try and have a great event, my motivation to do all the best things we can do to make it safe and also to be realistic in what can be delivered. So am I hopeful and optimistic the race will happen? Yes. Will it be different than the previous festival? It's going to have to be. Um, will it fall foul of COVID? I don't really know. I don't believe there'll be any vaccine in time for it. Um, I, I, I think we'll be operating with COVID and it will just depend on what levels are there. And again, that's why I was impressed and, and, and really happy to see what the, the Art O'Neill challenge uh, was doing with 
just calling it out straight up and saying, you know, if we're level one or level two, then we can go ahead. And if not, you know, we'll make a call on it. Fortunately, at this stage, I have all of my dates for ordering, you know, all, all the goodie bags, all the items. And um, we're really, really fortunate that we have a, just under 70% of our capacity reached. So people have been registering. Um, I'm very aware that an early call would be my preference as, as, a, as a participant to make an early call and hear probably two months in advance and I've put some hard dates in the calendar and I mean the end of February is, is, is a very very important date for me on that and I would prefer to make an early call if we have to cancel I don't envisage that but if we do I want to give the maximum possible refund or a deferral I really really hope that we're not going to be deferring I really really hope it will go ahead and it will be safe and that is the main main thing for me that it needs to be safe and people need to be able to come down confident, comfortable to enjoy it. Because if you're not out enjoying the trails, in my view, what's the point in having a festival? Well, Simon, hopefully you'll have as much luck as the guys in Thailand, Thailand did last week, Thailand by UTMB. Because with everything going on, I thought it was absolutely amazing that they got to have their 170k ultra race backed, of course, by the UTMB team who are actually working remotely from Chamonix, offering their race director support services um, to the Thailand team. And they got five races away, Simon, from 12k to 170k. In the midst of you know, this global pandemic, they had 1,500 runners participating in Thailand. Now, I believe just from reading a little bit about it, Thailand has been very, very lucky over the last couple of months. So they were in a position to do it. They got over COVID. I think they had a typhoon coming in as well. So yeah, they they got their race done. Um, it was, you know, a UTMB branded event. It was spectacular. I saw some of the photographs. The winners were local Thai runners, Sanya Kanchi and Fit Kanan Machako and won boat races 36 hours by Fit Kanan and 26 hours by Sanya so if they can do it in Thailand Simon hopefully fingers crossed you'll be able to do it down in Kerry next summer I'd be looking forward to it and as I say I, I'm really excited about the event um, you know I, I'm really positive about it and just trying to make sure that uh, again, not to get carried away with delivering against all odds and, and just make sure it is safe. Um, I'm getting so many messages of support and, you know, good wishes. And hopefully by next May, eh, I don't think we're going to be clear of COVID. I don't think there's going to be a vaccine widely available. But I do think that it's very possible we could be down at the very low levels and this can be controlled. And again, it's down to each individual. It's down to all of us to try and do that. Just be responsible and, and just try and keep ourselves safe and keep others safe. Yeah, well, I'm going to keep on sending positive news stories here to you, Simon. Again, just on the international news front, the Javelina 100 with a J for Javelina and a J for 100. Um, that took place there over the October holiday weekend in Arizona in the United States. That was the last race of the Ultra Trail World Tour for 2020, the 18th edition of the race. 
look very, very tough across very, very dry trails and dry um, heat as well there in Arizona. 540 runners. And the winners were in the women's race, Nicole Bitter in 15 hours and 17 minutes. And in the men's race, Tim Tollefson, which we're hoping to get on, Simon, courtesy of our friends in chorus. Hopefully we might have Tim on for maybe a Christmas special in the next couple of weeks. Tim is a superb ultra trail athlete and a really really top guy as well so looking forward to talking to Tim and just to round off the international news Simon as well there about two weekends ago as well the European mountain running and trail running masters championships took place in the Madeira Islands and normally Simon there'll be loads of Irish over at these championships I've been there myself before in the last couple of years the Irish teams they always do very very well but I went through the full set of results there today and you know understandably so Simon and probably rightly so there wasn't an Irish athlete in the mountain and trail races at all so fingers crossed fingers crossed we'll all be back there competing in those vet races next year instead Simon I think that's about it from my side and the international scene was there anything else from back home that you wanted to mention no I was just going to say it's a pity that there was no Irish over and, and we look forward to you know events getting running again a bit of movement back again and you know hearing those great stories and particularly we've had such uh, fantastic results from Sarah and Zach in particular and you know and hearing more about that I look forward to it once movement is a bit easier and a bit freer. Yeah, and we've mentioned before, Simon, that the average age of in of trail and mountain athletes, they tend to be over 35. And those masters trail and mountain running championships, if anybody hasn't gone before, you don't need to qualify for them. You can wear a green jersey, you can be part of an Irish team. The the banter and the crack is is incredible. And they're really, really good fun. So if we do get to travel again next year, um, do look it up. And maybe for next week's episode, I might have have a look and see where those masters championships are and you never know simon we might be on an irish team together next year after all yeah i'd say it's probably a long shot for me but uh, <laughs> i look forward to doing a, a couple of races and i do like to, to to take in a trip every now and again but it's very few and far between for me and one thing i'm not is competitive um so i enjoy the journey enjoy the surroundings and enjoy seeing other runners and seeing another country well, this is Simon. Great to talk to you again. And Simon, we'll talk in about two weeks' time. Stay safe and stay well. Have a good one, Owen. Thanks and take care. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Rene Boer, great to have you with us again this week. Rene, you're very welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you, Owen. I'm glad to be back. Rene, we had a great chat last week about aerobic training and anaerobic training and what they both meant. And last week we focused on the aerobic side. And I know this week you wanted to focus on anaerobic training and what exactly that means and how we can protect it and look after it and improve it. 
Yes. So to recap for the people who might have missed the last podcast, what we were trying to explain last week is that running um, is basically, it's, it's primarily about metabolism. So that means how fast you can run for any given period of time. You know, of course, it's dictated by things like, you know, muscular strength and, and, and these sorts of factors. But the main thing is what's going on with your metabolism. So the metaphor we were putting up is, is the engine. So what's going on with your engine? And basically, we have an engine that produces this currency called ATP. And the more ATP you can create within a certain amount of time, the more power you can produce. And the more power you can produce, the faster you can run. So essentially, it means if someone can run very quickly for long periods of time, it's because they can produce a lot of ATP in their engine, and they can keep doing that for a long period of time. And similarly, if someone is really slow, it's because you can't produce very much ATP. And even the ATP that you can produce, the rate of that production might basically drop very quickly. So that would be, you know, classical symptom of what from the outside looks like a person who lacks endurance because they might start off at a good pace, but within 10 minutes, the pace already starts to drop. And it's simply because that engine production uh, starts or starts to reduce very quickly. So we were saying that, well, the aerobic metabolism is like a combustion engine, and that's the main focus of all training programs. It's about 80, 90% of the training, because that is what we really need. We need a huge, big combustion engine because it can produce lots of these ATP. And even better than that, because it runs on oxygen and fat, it can keep doing and producing these ATPs for a very, very long period of time. In fact, it's always running because even when you're not exercising, you need energy. If there was no ATP produced, you would basically go into rigor mortis, you know, and you'd, you'd be dead. And that's kind of is the definition of death. The moment the flow of ATP stops, that's it. I'm sorry, you know, game over. Um, so well, when we we're run, all, the... we're, all, we're all a long way away from that when we're out <laughs> training. Um, if I could ask Renny, maybe, when do we pass over from our aerobic um, zones when we're training to our anaerobic zones? How do we know? Or if we look at our watch and we look at our heart rate, how do we know what side we're in? So the way you notice it, just but first better to know what, what happens. So what happens is that at some stage, that combustion engine cannot spit out enough ATP quickly enough and for the speed that you want to create. And when that happens, we start to spin up one of the two little batteries we have, which are the anaerobic engines. And when we start spinning up that battery, we get a lot more ATP, um, but we also get a lot of junk and grease put into our engine that can cause it to fail. And the way you notice this, first of all, the anaerobic engine runs without oxygen. So you usually start to notice that you're reaching the limit of your combustion engine, your oxygen engine, when you have to breathe significantly harder. And generally, there's, there's two points that you can notice with your breathing. The first is when you shift from um, being able to breathe purely through your nose or this kind of talking breathing, you know, where you barely notice the breathing, the breathing is slow, uh, it's not particularly deep. This is the point where you start to spin the anaerobic battery a little bit. So this is the first time that some of the anaerobic energy comes into the mix, but it's still a very small part of the contribution. And this is what we call the aerobic threshold. Okay. If we then keep increasing our pace, our breathing starts to become increasingly deeper 
and increasingly faster. Then we hit a second point of change, which is called the anaerobic threshold. And some people call it the second ventilatory threshold, because this is when your breathing starts to get very rapid and very shallow. So this is the indication that now you're moving away from a type of effort that is sustainable into a type of effort that will very, very rapidly become unsustainable. So this feeling of extreme breathlessness and demand for get, get me some air and get it to me quickly. That's a sign that you're now heavily utilizing this anaerobic battery and your engine is beginning to clog up. And very soon your combustion engine will be so overwhelmed by the output of this anaerobic battery that you will have to stop exercising. And the reason for that has to do with acidity and other changes you know, in your internal environment. So basically your muscles in a way you could look at it as they're getting poisoned by this process. And that'll then force everything to slow right down. So this is why in, you know, in interval sessions and in races, if you take the effort too far above orange into the red, you can have these incredible crashes where the only thing you can do to keep moving forward is to slow nearly down to a walk. You know, it's not even enough anymore to just slow down to steady pace because yeah. you have just absolutely uh, poured this, um, what we say, waste product that the anaerobic engine produces. You just poured that into your main engine and it needs time now to clear that backlog because of what can function properly again. Sure. And, and if we come back a little bit, Rennie, and if we go back to the anaerobic threshold, would I be right in saying that that's the equivalent of what many Irish athletes have done over the years um, on a Saturday morning with their club, the standard club tempo run, the pace run? And isn't the purpose of that, I think, to run around your anaerobic threshold zone and to try and increase your efficiency as you're running in, or, in and around that pace, in and around that zone area of your anaerobic threshold. Yeah, that's the basic idea. So if we, for, for most people, the anaerobic threshold is the same, or it's very, very close to the best pace they can maintain for 60 minutes. And that means for a very, for a good club runner, um, it would be about their 10 mile pace. And for a faster club runner, it's, it's closer to their 10K pace. Um, sorry, it's closer to their marathon pace, right? So you, you could have an elite runner who runs marathons, half marathons in an hour. You know, we have those and some even a little bit faster now. And that means for them, the anaerobic threshold is actually the half marathon pace. Um, mm -hmm. If you run the 10 mile in, uh, in 60 minutes, then that is your um, anaerobic threshold is your 10 mile pace. And finally, if you are, a, let's say a, a hobby runner who runs 10Ks in 60 minutes, then your anaerobic threshold would be similar to your 10K pace. If you're a total beginner, sometimes it's even lower than that. It would be something like your 30 minute pace. Yeah. But the, the main thing with tempo runs was to, to look at this area of intensities that lie above easy, so above the aerobic threshold, but below the anaerobic threshold, so below this kind of 10 mile-ish pace. So you have a, a zone there, and that's the zone we call zone three. Technically, those runs are called sub-threshold. And a sub-threshold run, depending on you know how far up you go in zone three, you could do as an easy run that was 40 to 60 minutes. Um, for some people, it could even be longer. 
you know, because your marathon pace, actually, if you're a faster runner, your marathon pace is hiding in that zone three as well in the lower part of it. But what a lot of people do is they, um, they actually run right at this threshold or just above it. And when you run just above it, it becomes quite a demanding session. So a lot of athletes have made this mistake of doing um, 40 minute tempos that are on the hard side of this threshold. And that's an extremely demanding session because you're really running that dirty battery. So the, the general consensus today among coaches is when you are actually training right at the lactate threshold or just above it, you shouldn't do more than 20 minutes continuous effort. So you, you probably remember these types of sessions on that it, it used to be a classic to say a 20 minute hard tempo. Um, and that sort of session would be probably just above the lactate threshold. So for most people between 10 mile and 10K pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And invariably as the season progressed, Renny, that might start off at 20 minutes in week one, but maybe as we got two or three months into the season, we might be up at 34 or 35 minutes. And I suppose the question that I always had when I was training was, and even, even now to this day, that when I'm doing my anaerobic threshold run, my pace run, my tempo run, or whatever you want to call it, invariably you're going to have cardiac drift where you're looking at your heart rate monitor on your watch and you might start off maybe trying to maintain at around 150, 155, whatever your, your range might be. But as you get to the last maybe 10 minutes of that, you're heading towards nearly race pace effort. So my question is, Rennie, do we, do we need to slow down in these tempo runs and be disciplined and be patient and stay within that heart rate zone that we started at, even though we're going to drop in pace? Or is it okay for our heart rate to drift up uh, as we try and maintain our pace? Or as we're, as we're getting excited in the last three or four minutes, the last K of our tempo runs, we're trying to maybe replicate a race and our heart rate goes up to the roof. Are we actually throwing all the goodness that we've done in the first 20 minutes out the window as a result? It's actually more about timing um, of the session and how you should execute it. But just on the heart rate itself, you know, your heart rate generally goes up, not just because of the energy systems and the energy demand. It goes up because of things like, you know, stress, caffeine, heat, things like that. So it's more important in the session itself that you focus on the effort. So it's very important as an athlete that as you run and, and learn to run at different intensities, that you get a, a very good intuitive feel for when are you progressing from this steady effort to the hard effort and all you need to do in these uh, tempo runs is you need to ensure that your steady doesn't cross into hard for very long periods of time but in terms of actually progressing it in the old days a lot of runners used to trash themselves by basically doing threshold runs um, too early in the training and today the consensus is that it's generally better for your steady weekly run if you have that sort of routine that you start early in the season with sub-threshold runs. That means you're basically running low in the zone three. So that's closer to marathon pace and stuff like that. And then as the season progresses and you get towards you know, you, the races, these sessions can actually get a bit shorter, but you, you get closer to the real lactate threshold or just above it. And this is where it gets really interesting because at a certain stage, it's, it's actually better for you to split um, these threshold efforts into pieces rather than trying to run them all in one block because of this has to do with the, 
the relationship between these two engines, you know, so the battery and the combustion engine. I mentioned there that if the, the bigger the combustion engine is, the more of the waste products that the anaerobic engine is producing can be recycled into more energy. And what basically happens is, is the anaerobic engine will create ATP and it will leave behind a waste product. It's called pyruvate. If that pyruvate, if that, that's available basically for the combustion engine. So if the combustion engine is big, it'll take that pyruvate and it'll make more ATP out of that. But if the aerobic engine is very small, it'll linger outside the muscles and, and it'll linger and it'll become lactate. And then, the, then we get a negative effect on performance. So if you imagine this from a session perspective, what you need to teach the body is if you have a good aerobic engine and you have a reasonably spinning anaerobic engine, it, you can then do an interval, let's say five minutes, six minutes, even 10 minutes, where you run above the lactate threshold. That means you're now producing a lot of ATP, but you're also producing a lot of waste product. But then you drop the pace, let's say for three minutes into maybe marathon pace. Now, suddenly the aerobic engine can get a little bit of a chance to take all this um, pyruvate and recycle it. And the more you train this uh, metabolic process, the better these two engines get at working together. So that means instead of just doing tempos, you know, once you get close to the race, it's actually a good idea to do what they call, there's many words for it on, but stuff like cruise intervals um, or what's called new interval training. And new interval training is, it just means an interval training where you run hard and then in the interval, you don't drop down to a jog. You actually, you keep more of us as say a marathon pace effort. And what you're practicing there is this handover from the anaerobic to the aerobic where the body learns to reuse the, the junk. And this is extremely useful in a race because in a race situation, this happens all the time. You know, you're gonna have periods where you overdo it a little bit. So if you can teach your body that if I can just drop the pace a notch here, I'll recycle the junk and then I'm ready to go again. It, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'll admit really that it's a little bit overwhelming thinking of all the different mechanisms that you've described there. And if there's so much going on in our body during a tempo run, during a race, that we're probably very much unaware of and all i can say Renny, is that the, the athletes that you're coaching that they're, they're lucky to have you and there's somebody that, that can understand it and when you like would you have any tips for the listeners that are listening that maybe don't work with a coach that wouldn't have that scientific understanding how do they actually put everything what you've said there how do they apply that to their to their saturday tempo run and um, how do they know where to go where to start is it on their watch? Is it by feel? How do they get the benefit of their anaerobic tempo run? Well, the, the summary of it is kind of that, first of all, teach yourself where is the, how does it feel when you go from easy to steady? So notice that breathing we talked about. When does it go from like, you barely notice it to uh, now I have to take slightly deeper breaths. And when does it go from steady to hard? Uh, you know, so where the breathing becomes shallow and rapid instead of controlled, but strong. That you need to learn by feel so that you can keep yourself in those zones, even if you have a problem with your heart rate monitor. Okay. Then the second part of the process is start close to in the lower end of these steady and, and do runs of 40 to 60 minutes that are quite strong, even longer for experienced competitors. And then slowly make those tempos faster 
but as you make them faster, either make them shorter or break them into repetitions where there is some kind of break to allow your system to catch up. That'd be a very basic way to progress it every single season. Um, but really what I wanted to warn people about when thinking of the anaerobic engine is that when this anaerobic engine is very easy to stimulate, especially in runners who are born with a what's called fast twitch muscle fibers, a lot of them. So if you are naturally powerful and listening to this, you know, so that means you have an easy time um, bulking up muscles, you're pretty powerful in your jumping, you have a good sprint, things like that. Then you're especially in danger of this problem. That is, the moment you start doing hard training of any sort, you start to stimulate this anaerobic system. And that means this anaerobic battery will start to spit out more of this pyruvate. If you do that early in training while your aerobic engine is still weak, you are actually going to reduce all of your paces across the board. And why does that happen? It happens because your little combustion engine will constantly be overwhelmed by your much too active anaerobic engine. So this is why, as we said in the, the last podcast, in the beginning, anything that's kind of hard intensity, it needs to be in really small doses. And you know, hold that training off until you get pretty close to the races because it only takes five to six weeks, as we said, to really whack that up to maximum. And then you can do some coordination training at the other end of that. Um, so that will be my warning to people with the anaerobic um, system that it, it's, a, it's something that if you actually train it too much, you know, you always think all training is good. But if you train it too much, it actually will reduce your race performance, especially when you are, the longer your distances are. Um, and this can happen even if your aerobic training is good, right? So you can actually be in a situation, and this has been measured in laboratories, where your aerobic capacity is increasing. So if you were to measure that separately, so your aerobic fitness is now better. But if you have also overstimulated the anaerobic engine, your actual race paces can drop as a result. So this is where it gets quite technical, but by and large for most people, as long as you introduce the anaerobic training quite late and you make sure that you do it off a big base of this type of easy zone one and zone two running, then you're not much at risk. But if you're constantly you know, running and racing hard and hitting that, then you're probably not reaching your potential because you are never maximizing that relationship if that makes sense no it does it's great advice Rennie. and maybe just one more question to you on it that a lot of our listeners might be long distance runners ultra runners on the trails and the mountains and that type of runner can't ignore their anaerobic training either because you know how many times have we been on a tough climb maybe halfway into an ultra where we're working our backside off and we do drift into that anaerobic state so even though the majority of our racing the majority of our training as ultra runners or as trail runners will be in aerobic zones you do need to put a little bit of work into your anaerobic side as well yeah, like a good rule of thumb is that once you get into the, the second part of your training, usually about 5% of the uh, weekly volume would be in, in zone four uh, and some zone five, but that would mainly be for, for real kind of short distance uh, racers. But 
you know, you and I here, we're just talking about what effect does training have on the metabolism? And it is easy to forget that, you know, you can't train in the human body one system in isolation. And one benefit of what we call anaerobic training, because anaerobic training means that you're training quite fast. Um, so let's say you, when you go and do zone four repeat intervals, um, which is basically just for people, it, it's kind of 3K to 10K uh, race intensity. If that, if that will give people something to, to attach it to. And it'll probably feel like an eight to nine, even 10 out of 10 if you go on long enough. Uh, when you do that sort of work, you also really recruit a lot of muscle fibers and you are putting a lot of force through your body. That does have a huge advantages for other reasons than metabolism. You know, it, it makes the body significantly stronger. It creates a lot of what's called human growth hormone, you know, which is good for, for muscle building. So you can't ignore that you will need some of that if you want to run up a hill very fast. You know, the, yeah. without that, you will never, I think, be a terrific uphiller because you would be limited by the power you can produce just with your aerobic system. Renee, that, that's absolutely super advice. Thanks a million for that this week. And I, I might call it at that for today. There's a lot there for everybody to take in. And if anybody does have any questions on anything that Renee might have said there, because it really is so important to get that type of training right, you can reach out to Renee on runningcoach.ie, on his Facebook and Instagram page as well. And Renee, I'm sure, will be delighted to answer any questions you might have. Renee, thanks a million for all that. That was really super. All right. Glad you enjoyed it. For this week's special guest interview, we're going to change pace a little bit. We're going to talk to Michael Kelly. Michael's name might not be at the top of race results at the moment, like a lot of our previous guests on the podcast this year, but there was a golden period back in the mid-2000s where Michael Kelly from Carlo was regularly on podiums in road and cross-country races all around the country and also on the mountains as well. He won the Irish Senior Mountain Running Championships and he represented Ireland and the green jersey with distinction on numerous occasions in major international mountain running championships. But before his running career really took off, Michael was an alcoholic and was in a very, very dark place. Running made a massive positive and life-changing impact on his life. And at the moment when things have been so tough for many people listening this year, Hopefully Michael's story now will inspire and show that there is always light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark that tunnel may be. Michael Kelly, everybody. Michael, you're very welcome to the show. Michael, you've been a great supporter of the show with little messages of support every now and again. So, so thank you for that, Michael, and thank you for offering to come on to tell us your story. No problem. I love the show. It's uh, kind of I listen to it in all my runs, maybe over the hour. Um, I, every show, I haven't missed one. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and look at I find find your one brilliant because it's uh, you have your you have your dietitians and you have your all your runners like Ian Conroy, Barry, and uh, geez, I really really enjoy it now. So um, so well done on on your and 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 so far so good and best look into the future for the podcast. Oh, thanks a bit, Michael. And Michael, I thought that we'd start your own story today with maybe when your own running career started back in the late 90s. What age were you then and what was life like back in Carlo then? 
Uh, life was life was life was kind of always good as a young lad. I, I um kind of from the from the age of ten up, I, I would have played uh, a lot of soccer, centre midfield, kind of poor man's Vinnie Jones. You could have called me, I suppose. It was a kind of a hatchet man, and uh, I, I and then I would have played a lot of GA and hurling. Wasn't great at hurling. It was decent enough for the football. The GA at GA, always a midfielder. I always had a guy beside me that would be a bit more skillful, but I would have been the kind of workhorse in the in the set in the two midfielders, and the guy beside me would be the kind of more skillful guy. So. I, up to the, up to the age of probably, uh, yeah, as you say, into the uh, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four, I, I I kept playing football and, and 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 a bit of soccer and a bit of hurling and I kind of mixed in a bit of running in with it. I, I always remember uh, one of my GA coaches saying to me, um, he said, "Look, we'll have a junior football final on Saturday. I don't want you going out now on Friday and doing doing ten miles." You know, which was kind of a regular occurrence. And I always kind of did the, did the mileage. Um, even though I was never competing and all that kind of stuff, I, I always kind of did the mileage, but um, not, I would never count it as mileage. Just going out for a run, like just recovering maybe for a, from a hard session for the GA or the soccer or the hurling or whatever. And and that was just um, kind of, and I mixed in the running a bit uh, and and that, that was more, more or less it there. I had a really kind of good upbringing. Um, mother and father were brilliant. Uh, two sisters, uh, two brothers and sister. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of from, from uh, when when I start going going out and uh, maybe socialising, I felt I, I always had kind of problems from the start on, on that scene. We're painting the picture, Michael, that you know you had a great family upbringing. You were a, a, an all around sports star back then. Maybe you were you know one of the important players of the GA team. Played football. You were an up and coming athlete as well. But there was this big dark shadow that was there beside you as well. Um, the demon of the drink. Um, when, when did those problems, Michael, start? Oh, look, I suppose, oh, like any young lad, I was going out at 16 or 17. I was never, I didn't start like real young or anything like that. I never, never would have drank when I was back 13, 14 or anything like that. And you'd hear loads of that. Like, but I was kind of more, more maybe uh, 16, 17 even, I'd say, and before school disc and all that. But I just felt from the start, I, 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 you know, no matter how long the night was, it would, uh, kind of couldn't be long enough. And I, you know, the, the, coming out of the pub, then I'd have to buy a nag and a whiskey and drink that out in the street and kind of go home and and end up, I'd end up uh, drinking a home bug or whatever be there. I know my mum, my mum would have kind of hid stuff in the end, but like it was cute enough too that I would have, uh, would have always kind of bought maybe bought one and made, had a stash and I would have bought, maybe bought one at the bar in the night and bring it back home all that kind of stuff so it was a really really big problem um, from the very start I'd say it was I think um, everyone thought it was a really confident bloke but uh, um, in the inside I really wasn't um, I kind of used it for I used the drink maybe to you know when you're maybe chatting up women or that kind of stuff and uh, it was just uh, using it for that kind of confidence thing and I suppose looking back on it maybe wasn't the right thing to do was there any awareness, Michael, that it was a very serious problem, that it was alcoholism, or were you just going with the flow, bouncing from weekend to, to weekend? You said when we were talking beforehand that you were like a cat with nine lives, you were getting in fights, um, going to parties, but you were still getting up and training well and starting off this brilliant running career at the same time. Were you aware of the problem that you had, or were you just pushing on through? Yeah, I was. I was just. I, I, I 
kind of always was something in the back of my head saying drink wasn't good for me, but I still couldn't uh, couldn't shake it. Uh, I just felt that uh, there was it was too much of importance for me going out and and um, you know I I just felt that it, it, it again it was the confidence thing going out and just you know and, and I was always the life and soul of the party with the first guy up in the bar dancing with me shirt off and all that kind of stuff and but that was grand that was that was the early stages but it really you know just just sneaked up on me I'd say it was kind of me basically drinking every day and every night and uh, weekends I was I was I, you might my mum and dad mightn't see me for kind of maybe three four days. That kind of stuff it was just really, really sneaking up on me, um, drinking at home, getting into fights, coming in, uh, uh, you know, often coming into the yard and maybe dad would be just getting up to work and I'd come in like with a with me, uh, shirt full of blood, like from fighting and my face and, 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 you know, battered up and all that kind of stuff really was, was it was just, it was one week after another and it was the very same thing for, 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 for three years, I'd say it was more even. And it was just, I just kind of, I just, I definitely got to a stage where I, I, I didn't really want to be uh, kind of around anymore, but because uh, it was such a disappointment to my family and um, and to my brother and sisters uh, who like were really really nice people up along and they like, just didn't, I shouldn't, have, you know, I shouldn't have done that to them really, but um, made up for in the since sorry, but but like uh, they saw a lot of stuff as well that they shouldn't have saw, you know, really. Sure. And then there was maybe a turning point, Michael, around 2003, when you had moved to New Digs. I think you had done a course in gym management. You were really beginning to perform well in training, despite all the poison that was in your system and racing was beginning to go well. But you just couldn't escape the demons of the drink and you ended up in a Garda station in Carlo. Maybe you could tell us what happened around that weekend. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, it was. Um, it was one of the uh, one of the good courses there, gym management and, and kind of all that kind of stuff. Nutrition. It was one of the best ones I could have got I, I, without uh, having a really high qualification. So, uh, like my dad and mum were delighted to God, and and I, 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 um, I just, I remember my dad. We, we packed a lot of stuff in the car, bro, and and I was staying with a staying with a friend of mine up there till I got got into my main digs and and and. Um, took off uh, and we, we unpacked and, and dad went on he was really happy and I suppose it was just two days into the course and ended up you know I went down to the down to the pub and we finished early one day and ended up like just get drinking maybe 10-15 pints again and, and, and going to the nightclub then and, and um, I came out of the nightclub and I broke I must have broke 10 windows down along the down along the street and just I mean it was just crazy, really, um, and and I got taken away back to Carlo and ended up like you know in the cell for the night. And um, I don't know. We got fired off the course for one thing uh, that that was finished. And I just my dad, mum came in for me then at early in the morning, and and um, and I got into the car when they come out, and and just like uh, I suppose my mum said nothing, but my dad just looked back at me and and uh, he just. He just had this look of sympathy. Uh, he, he he never said he never was angry or never said a thing. But he just looked at me and said, "You know, um, I think this guy has a problem. We have to help him." So um, I was kind of just getting a bit emotional thinking about it now. But but it was a uh, it was kind of just the way he looked at me. And uh, to this day, you know, I I have that. Um, I see that I see him looking back at me, even though he's he's 
he's passed away now and all, but I see him kind of looking back at me if anything goes wrong and just, you know, kind of had that look, uh, a dad look, you know, just saying, you know, I'm here for you. So I'm sure he, I'm sure it must have been hard for him, Michael, because as you said, hard for everybody, because as you said, you were from a very good family, a very loving family, good support. You were good at sports as you were growing up. And doesn't it show just how easy it is maybe for, for anybody? You just never know when you might fall victim to yeah. some form of addiction, whether it's alcohol or yeah. or drugs or or what depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. You, you just never know. You, you just can't tell because there, there was no indication, was there, that that you were going to fall into this vicious cycle? Not not when it was not not when it was it, it, like you know growing up ten up ten year old 13, 13, 14, 15, Not because I worked on the farm at home and was I was brilliant to working on the farm and. Has just the minute I start going out, I said my dad like knew that you know I was going things were going to go wrong and I was not not going to be interested in the farm anymore and all that. It just just like it just my life completely changed uh, when I when I when I start going out. So I suppose the point in the whole thing is, you know, I suppose kids today. If I saw if I went up through the town of my own local town and there was a, there was a, someone fell across the street, I just you know it's nearly a learning curve in a way. I I tried to help him, but I mean I just so I suppose. It, I nearly had to go through it to, to come out the other end and, and, and be a stronger person, really. Um, it was an awful thing to go through, but I, I, I suppose, look, I just had to get, had to go, I mean, I mightn't be around today, but still I am. And I suppose, look, I, I just kind of was maybe strong enough in the end just, just to get through it. Like, and sports you know, and, and running, Michael, actually helped keep you alive, I think, didn't it? And it did, running, it, in, run running in one way, there. going training, helped you to sweat all the alcohol out of your system. But you also mentioned that in one way, sport didn't help. And uh, the GAA team at the time, that was actually an environment where the lads were going drinking after games. Yeah, um, yeah. And that for an alcoholic just doesn't help at all and no. you actually you went to talk to your to your teammates i i i said that again going back to that look me that gave me i just said like if something came across me that driving back down in the car that day just something came across me saying jesus christ i said like um i'm, I'm gonna have to do something early or i'm gonna put my parents in an early grave like and i said like you know they were just i just could see that the pain in dad's face like he's just wasn't the man he was even and um so I I I kind of went look thing the the weekend then there was a game of soccer and I was captain of the team and um as you said GA I was involved in the two but just happened to be in soccer and I was centre midfield for the soccer team and I was captain and I was you know I wasn't that I wasn't the captain that goes around talking the whole time and just shouting and I was just a nice captain as well as just got on with people and um so look at there was a game and I um. I come in and like as as normal I suppose he could have expected me to tag out, but I, I didn't tag out, you know. And I just I made the decision beforehand that I was going to give up the GA and the soccer. That yeah. like I had to, I had to make a make a stand of not going near a pub like nightclubs yeah. and stuff. I had, I had to just walk away from those. And um I suppose I <laughs> the day of the soccer anyway, the before the game uh, I I um I remember like we we I just kind of call the guys and and before right out on the pitch and just they were I just told him to get around the circle and I just went in the middle of it and I said uh guys I said I won't be I won't be talking out or won't be playing anymore just said I've <coughs> I've a, have a problem with the drink and um I had to give it up 
and you know I, I kind of I um I'm kind of revisiting it there now but I I, I just I suppose I came out of the circle and the guys were I was kind of crying and the guys were just giving me a clap and and you know and that was that was it I suppose look at the all the all the guys uh, I I did nothing against any the, all the guys drink probably this day and I'd never have any, I'd never have anything against anyone drinking but just wasn't I I had to call kind of say to myself it wasn't for me in the end and that was that was that day was the day that my life changed yeah and Michael aren't you so lucky in one way mm. that it was only not only three or four years but it was three or four years of of horrible drinking but a lot of people aren't as lucky and they can go through their whole lives as an alcoholic but thankfully and I don't know maybe what the reason is I don't know if you know the reason that thankfully you managed to nip it in the bud at a very early stage and you had that inner strength to gather your teammates of the soccer team. Apologies, I said the GAA team before, the soccer yeah, team. No, that was all. I was picked GAA at the time as well, but look, I had to, I had to just yeah. give it all up, I suppose, at the time. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. And, and you managed to say it to your peers, which is, must have been the hardest and the bravest thing to do, that, listen, guys, sorry, I just can't participate in this anymore. As much as I love yeah. football, yeah. this yeah. isn't good for me. Where, where do you think that inner strength came from Michael because a lot of people can go all their lives without wanting to change and I think for an alcoholic no matter who says it to you whether it's your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister it has to come from you inside doesn't it it's not going to happen it did come from me inside but look at it I suppose the driving point behind the whole thing was um, the driving point the driving point behind the whole thing was my dad like just you know, I I just I just knew that he wanted me to to to, to do something, and uh, I had to do it. You know, just had to do yeah. it. Do it for him, and do it for my mom, and do it for my brother and sisters, and and you know, um, we uh, to me, family's everything, and I I had to I had to change, or you know, it's just I don't know where I would have ended up otherwise. I know, I mean, I kind of touched on a point there where, um, which in maybe a few days ago, but hers, you know, I I. I I did um, have a cry for help where, where you know, I, I did something and unfortunately uh, my mum and dad were there to see that as well and, you know, coming back to that wasn't a nice thing for them to see but again, I suppose it was just one of these things that I'm around now and I mightn't have been around, you know, I, had to, I ended up in the hospital that day as well and uh, just, just, you know, in the, just in the earlier stages there that, that, that happened as well and you know, I just had a really kind of, uh, I suppose, look at just, just a terrible time, really. How many years, Michael, did all of that go on for? Um, and w- what age were you, Michael? In your early 20s, I think, wasn't it? Um, I suppose, uh, like, I mean, it was um, probably from up to, up to 20, 20, 24, 25, I suppose. That, that, that kind of thing was going on, um, maybe from... From the age of seventeen, but look at the. I'm not. You can't really say seventeen because when you start out, uh, like you're just speaking like any normal kid, like just going out yeah. for discos and all that kind of stuff. So you really can't count those years. It's just when things, when it got a grip to me, you know what I mean. And as you say, and you said the truth there. I mean, the running, uh, I suppose, and the bit of training for the GA, the running when I was sweating it out my system, and the endorphins that I was getting through the running was probably just what kept. It was just I was just probably on the borderline, but it just kept me alive. I think, Michael, are we more or less the same age, Michael? I was born in 1980, and so I'm 40 now. What year were you born in? 
I was I was not, I'm 1974, so you know. I would, okay, I would, so yeah, yeah, 1974. Yeah. I was born, and so yeah. I was kind of you know. Uh, so you're talking, say, like, you would have been in your late twenties around then. Late twenties. Yeah, probably, maybe it would have been a bit bit older. Yeah, I think sometimes the <laughs> I'm not great calculating the years, especially looking yeah. back on it. Probably there's probably times where where my mind almost went. So I I I, I suppose it, yeah, it could have been maybe 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 into my later twenties. Maybe then, as as you said, on yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. Well, well, Mike, you managed to turn that addiction to alcohol into a wonderful addiction for running, and you went to see a counselor. Yeah, you got help. You had that internal drive, and yes. from those horrible dark places where you were, you had four or five, if not more, and you're still running a course now. But you had four or five stellar years when it, it just took off for you. And what 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 a dose of healthy medicine that must have been! All those great results, and maybe could you talk to us about what happened next post the the team meeting with the football team and yeah. when you decided yeah. to, to, to try and make things better. Yeah, got a got a bit of got a bit got a bit of counseling on and, and um it definitely helped me uh, just to kind of he just told me things that would have helped me and, and um I suppose look at at the end there's only so long that could go on for and it probably went on for six months, maybe seven months, something like that. And then I said to myself, look at feel that I'm, 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 I just told him I feel I'm okay you now. You know, I think I'm, I think I need to, I need to move this way, move this along on my own now. That, that you know, that I can't be there. I can't be depending on you for the rest of my life. So I, I said, feel kind of, I'm off the drink. I feel confident. I feel strong. And you know, I can never get too confident because you could go back to where you are real quick. But, um, yeah. but, uh, but I, but I. I had that kind of tunnel vision then for the running when I liked it and I had given up the GA and and soccer and all that and and you know I had kind of meet I suppose although I didn't touch my my older friends and still still do to this day I, I had to meet new 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 group I suppose and and um, and I suppose look at it, I was with Lawrence O'Toole and Carlo but I suppose I'd have to say Gorn would be my main club and Liam Keeley kind of took me under his wing there and he was brilliant and and um, I kind of and I I. As I said, I finished the counselor then I tunnel vision into the run. I was working as well, of course. But I um you know, I, I kinda of started doing kind of 60, 70 mile a week and got maybe to 80 mile a week and was doing a lot of speed sessions, doing doing everything right and, and my nutrition right. And I suppose the breakthrough came for me then at a race down Tom Mel where, where I was up again the great Brian Mara, you know, Brian yourself and yeah. and, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 um and I went down there and I ran nineteen thirty three for four miles, which was kind of it's not like it's not like Irish class or anything like that, but like at the, for me at the time, like to run nineteen thirty three, like was 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 good because I wouldn't have been the fastest guy. I was a lot better on cross country, so whatever I was going to do on the road, I was going to go ahead of a lot better on the cross country. And I felt like when I was down at nineteen thirty three on the road in nineteen thirty whatever it was, I felt like that I like really could go well on the cross country and. And um, look at Liam Keeley kind of just kept encouraging me. And Liam, I, I mean, I don't know if you know Liam, but Liam, Liam's after really over the years, he, he's been at every Olympic Games, I think up to 10 years ago. And he kind of, he's after taking a lot of kids like in and, and, and making brilliant athletes out and both at long distance, sprinting, uh, jumping, long jumps, all that, everything. So like Liam was always very good to me. And and he always used to kind of give me videos and the videos were back then you had video players and he'd give me videos of the, the Olympics he was at and you know like 
Franco Mara run and Marcus suddenly got, got a bit of inspiration from those guys in, in Cochrane and all that. And, and, and it all worked, Michael, didn't it? Because only it a couple of months later, I think in January 2005, you, you led out the All-Ireland Intermediate Cross Country for, for the majority of the 9,600 metres, as you were telling me during the week. And, and he only just got caught by Emmett Dunleavy. Um, Emmett's another classy runner as well. And Liam O'Halloran. Um, and you, but you still made the podium. You still got bronze medal in a national intermediate cross country. And that must have been a special day. It was uh, just going back a small bit. Like the, I, I, I had made a breakthrough in the cross country in in, in, in in the same season, in the same cross country season. I think that it'd be counted the same season. But I ran the national novice in 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 Belvia House in Mullingar. Okay. There was about three hundred competitors that day. It was absolutely savage. I remember that. I remember like it was like uh, it was like you know maybe the breeders cup, the horses coming out. It was like the shoots, yeah. you know the shoots. I was really and uh, that day, um, that day, Alan McCormack won. And Brian was second, and I made the podium. I was third. I was delighted because it was a faster race. I think it was done over maybe six kilometers, and that really gave me the kind of a, just the, the, the love for the cross country, like the real the speed, like of that day, like it was really fast. Like as you know yourself, Brian Maher is a brilliant runner. And yeah. McCormack, Alan McCormack, I think that season might have. I think the year after that he would have maybe. I don't know, I think he was on the podium in the senior cross country, so he was a pretty good runner. And then, if you, as you said, then I come on to the, the following and the same season, then in January, I, um, that was probably my best favourite race of all because that was in Carlow and Tinner Island uh, course. And, and, and I led home for, um, Yeah, pardon? In, in home turf, in, in your home, home ground, maybe? Yeah, it, it was home turf and. And, and, and look at it, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little bit about the race, uh, Owen. I. I I warmed up and and I remember talking to Brian and Brian really, Brian Murray wasn't really up for it that day. It was a little bit of cut in the ground and I knew Brian like like just to run in the fast service and I said, look, I'm going to give this a go now here and I didn't know who was in the race really. I, I wasn't one for for picking out who was in it or anything like that. I just said, I said to myself from the start, I was going to go from the gun, and I went from the gun and Jesus, I I I, I led from the gun to nine thousand six hundred meters. You say four hundred meters to go. I remember coming up along the far, the, 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 the hill to the finish. It was a kind of a hill up. And it was like, I tell you what, like I, I liken it to just for this just for the people listening. I liken it to the Tour de France on the Alpha Duez. It's people coming out and I couldn't nearly run through them. There's people out, come on Kelly, come on. You know, like that. They were come on Kelly, you have to go now. So I just had I just really had nothing left in me. Um and Emmett as you know like would have a hell of a lot quicker kick than me and he would be a better miler than me and I, I just could sense him coming and and I just give it everything I could and lean past me as well but like when I went over the lane I was just I was so happy to make the podium because like, there could be so many good runners behind me and I met and, and I remember Liam Keeley my coach jumped in on top of me and 20 other people jumped in and then and we couldn't breathe at the bottom of the pile and Liam said to me I remember Liam saying to me I can remember well he said he said Mick don't ever forget this day he said you're after making me one proud man yeah, well, yeah. And here we are, Michael. Here we are, 16 seasons later, 16 years later, still talking about it. And I'm sure everybody that's listening, maybe when they're out jogging and they're listening into us now, um, they're thinking of those great cross country days or mountain sorry. racing days where there's people out on the course supporting you in. And um, we all certainly miss those those days now at the minute, don't we? Um, but I, I wanted to touch on Michael as well, a, a very important supporter that you had. You mentioned your coach, Liam, there. 
but your dad was also a big influence in all those races for you as well. He, he was the, he was your number one fan. He was there. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could tell us about the the very special weekend in one way where you had a, a super big win, but it was also a very sad, poignant uh, moment for yourself and all yeah. the family as well. Yeah. Well, well from the, from the, as I said, my daddy was the biggest supporter and anywhere ma, anywhere dad went, mom went. So the two of them were always at every race. I'd say they didn't miss one race. And, um, you know, they just didn't miss one race. And, and I remember, like, even uh, dad would, Dad would have made more friends, I'd say, on, 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 in in the cross country and the, and the, and the, and the road races than 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 um than, than I did myself. Nearly, he was just he was so popular going around. He, he used to love maybe you know the bit of an old presentation after, and he'd be just he'd be so chuffed, you know, if he got maybe on the podium or all that kind of stuff. And he was, I was really really top class, you know. We kept, I tell you, whatever happened in the past, we became. We became unbelievable friends, and uh, I know it's my dad, but we were kind of, you know, our best friends then as well. And 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 look, at he was he was he was just a number one supporter. But then, as you say, we went to the Iron Islands. Um, we packed up on one Friday evening. Um, my my brother Shay and my sister Ev, and myself and my dad and my mom stayed at home just to keep an eye on the cattle on the farm and the sheep and stuff. So, um, someone had to stay. So my mom my mom made the decision to stay. So. We we went on anyway, and um, it was a ten kilometer on the Iron Islands, and Sonia Sullivan was going to run in the women's, and and I didn't know who was going to be in the men's, but um, we 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 got into a bed and breakfast Friday night. We had a great kind of night. We went out for a bit of a walk, and and uh, we came back in and went to bed and had a nice breakfast next morning. Went down to the the race headquarters, then warmed up, and geez, I ended up winning the winning the race anyway. And Sonia was one of the women's, and Dad always wanted to meet Sonia because. Sonia and Roy Keane were, were dad's two favourite sports people of all time and um, he was a big Man United supporter and, and he was at Old Trafford even and so um so he met Sonia, he spoke to her for about 20 minutes or he was like a kid in the candy shop so he was and geez, uh, we went home, I came, uh, my sister and brother went back to Dublin to college and my dad and me went back then, we stopped in Lockray for food and went home and the next day then I just went out for a bit of a bit of a the recovery run, and we're going to come back then to watch the Australian Ireland rugby match. And I just said to Mum, "We'll come back with Dad around." And he wasn't like, and it was kind of he'd be such a good timekeeper. I tell you, he'd be there, he'd be there, and that'd be it. He'd be just so honest like that. So, um, we went kind of to look for him then, and we looked to call. Long story short, we 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 found him along the field. He was driving the tractor, and he was kind of moving one of the sheep feeders, and he ended up. He got a sudden heart attack on the tractor and he, he died. Um, I suppose that's that's the day that kind of changed our lives forever. Yeah. And for yourself, Michael, like when you have such a a low, sad moment like that, um, or even say before your dad passed away, I don't know if you ever picked up an injury or if you ever had a bad result. Are you ever tempted to have a drink again when those sad horrible moments arrive like when your dad passed away or or were you actually you were cured in one way so to speak and um, that you're okay were, were, were you free of the drink 100 by then i was i was on i was i was completely free of it I, there was there was yeah. a point in, there was there was a point in my life that even i uh, maybe at, maybe at the christmas or something i could have one bottle and that'd be it and i was able to do that but okay yeah. Uh, yeah i was able to do that but it ended up that uh, on I, I just felt that what the best thing for me was just to 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 to, to even 
even that even that kind of stuff because if one thing went wrong I could go back and I just said to myself so 15 years ago um uh, my my wife and I just my wife actually gave up gave up drink completely for me as well she did that yeah. for me and we I just complete complete I haven't I haven't had one drink in, in 15 years never never a drink through my lips thank god Ah, brilliant. You know, and and we yeah. were talking about your dad being your number one supporter, Michael. Did he get to see you qualify to run for Ireland? He did. It was one. There was one qualifier where, where I remember actually was so thrilled. Like he'd, he'd have the he'd have the Irish flag up outside the when they'd be away, then he'd have the Irish yeah. flag up outside the farm. Really? And, yeah, yeah, and he'd, he'd he'd put up when as soon as he'd be gone, as soon as he'd be gone out the gate, he'd be had the Irish flag up. He might he wouldn't he wouldn't do it when I be there because he think it'd make me nervous. So he'd do it when I was gone because my mum would have my mum would have told me after that. He just the minute I'd be gone, he'd put up the Irish flag. Like he'd stick it up and he'd have a bit of tape and he'd stick it up in the gate, you know. And yeah, that's yeah. look that kind of just that kind of mentality, you know. He was just such a Brilliant. nice man. Yeah, yeah, right. And tell us, Michael, how many many times did you get to run for Ireland? Because it's a wonderful story. Somebody who had you know all that trouble back in the early days, they managed to turn around. You managed to turn it around, and he got to run for Ireland um, in the mountain running championships. How many yeah. times did you get to run for Ireland, Michael? Um, do you have the stats? I, 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 I look at something that I suppose look at that I, I, I have all my shorts down there I'm well tucked away I suppose look at that, I probably ran five or six times altogether I, I five or six caps I'd say maybe maybe seven but I'll tell you I, I remember uh, winning the, the winning the All-Ireland down in Wicklow um, Robbie Bryson was second and Gary was third Gary Crossan and I was so happy that day I think about Robbie by two seconds or three seconds and Robbie was a uh, Robbie Lake was a real hero of mine. It's not that I knew too much about, but I knew Robbie. Robbie was brilliant, like and 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 then I had the pleasure of going out to Turkey on, on international, um, you know, or whatever it was. I think it was a world championship, and I, and look, he was such a gentleman towards me. He gave me a lot of tips before the race, and I roomed with him actually. Gary and myself and himself roomed together, and yeah. um, I've never in my I tell you, I just. Two, two absolute gentlemen. I just saw. I remember that. I remember that one in Turkey for some reason. It was just so good. I, I know. I've often heard you on the podcast, and you were mentioning like you know going away with the mountain runners. It's not like yeah. it really. No, it, it's the best. Uh, to my favorite yeah. running memories, Michael, as well. And I think and it, I got my first yeah. cap in 2010. So probably only just missed you, maybe by maybe we, by we two seasons. We missed each other, but then you were you were a different type of runner than I was. I wasn't like I mean you were yeah. you were you were you were much kind of faster miler than I was. You were probably just doing the different races that time maybe, and you ended up yeah. kind of doing the marathons and stuff. I never really went near the marathons and and yeah. um, and just just going back to that trip in Turkey, I'll tell you who was there as well. On and Jesus, I tell you, sure, I suppose she, she hasn't. I, I've spoken to her, messed her a few times there in the last few years, but she hasn't really changed much since she was. She's such a really, really nice person, even though she's a brilliant, brilliant athlete. Now, um, Michelle Finn was there. Okay. Absolute, yeah. absolute lady. Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and congratulations to her and all the success she's after having. Sure. And I know that you have three kids, Michael, as well. And um, do they ever get to see your Irish singlets? Did, do you ever take them out and tell them, listen, daddy, daddy used to run for Ireland? Um, have do. You, they do. Have they you know all right, definitely. Them? Yeah. They know all right. And I tell you, I, I suppose I maybe, I don't. There's some kind of I suppose I, maybe there's some kind of modesty in me that way that I don't really I don't know I just something that I suppose it's more it's nearly more dear to me than the this time when else you know that kind of way so I yeah. don't really I never really 
spouting around, uh, spouting about with her aunt like that. I just kind of, you know, I did it, and I know on my own head I did it, and I know on my own head I did nineteen thirty three for four miles, and on my own yeah. head I did, you know, different things. So it's good enough for me to kind of nod my own head, and and I, but my kids do know, and I'm sure, look, they have their, they kind of do their own things. They have they're into the soccer, the dancing, the shot put, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. I never really put pressure on to run because people would be saying to me. And uh, Mick Kelly there, sure. Jeez, uh, his kids would definitely be running. So no, they didn't though, you know. And I, I, and they didn't. I brought them up to Gorm once, that, and they didn't like it. And when they didn't like it, I didn't put pressure on them to do it. Yeah, and so you never know because you haven't put that pressure on them. They might decide to do it themselves, maybe when they're a little bit older, and uh, maybe start a little bit later. But Michael, I was yeah, going to ask you as well, since since those that glory decade those wonderful couple of years when you were on podiums and and making irish squads what has the decade been like um like since then from 2010 maybe 2020 has running still played a part in your life uh, yeah yeah running will always play a part in my life today uh, because um like even at the moment there i like and there's no competitions on but i'm i think i'm just one of these guys that really doesn't mind that uh, i i go out and do at the moment, they do maybe 60 miles a week, and it's mostly basically all easy running. I'd go up the mountains there, I'd maybe you know, might do a tempo the odd time, but it's mostly easy running. I, I really, really enjoy it. Like, I go down, I get my work done in the morning, maybe, and then I had I plan it out and go down for an hour down to the barrel line down, you know, he'd be running kind of just beside the barrow there on the, on the grass. So, you know, I, I just I put on that, put on the podcast and that, and I just really, really enjoy it. And look at it, I mean. I think it's such an important tool to have. Um, uh, even uh, I suppose I've seen some of the even would say Seamus Power. I've seen some of the guys that uh, give that were brilliant runners and they don't run anymore. But uh, for me, I don't think I could. I could. I couldn't. I couldn't do that because it makes me feel so good. You know, I just I just feel good after a run. You know, and have a shower and then you be like a new penny, really. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I know now, like, there's not many competitions and races on, but I've been saying it for a couple of weeks in the podcast that just don't worry about the racing and the competitions at the moment and just do what you're doing there, which is just getting out and enjoying your running and enjoying your training. And, you know, the, the races will, will come back, but it's certainly not the most important thing. And, Michael, I was going to finally maybe just ask you, and before I ask you the final question, just to say, a big thank you for for sharing your story with us and i'm sure you, you'll inspire and, and motivate and help a lot of people that are listening and maybe that's what i was going to ask you just last michael that for anybody that's listening that's going through some tough times at the minute whether it's alcohol depression um, gambling addiction has become very very strong and powerful in the last couple of years as well unfortunately is there any message, Michael, that you would like to say to them or even any message you would like to say to family members maybe as well because you, you certainly went through it all? Well, uh, I think for the, for, for the younger person listening, if there's any problems, um, you know, when you're 17, 18 to 20, I think the big mistake I made back then, and please, look at it, I'm so happy that I can just say to you now that maybe someone's listening, uh, some young person, young girl or boy is listening or, you know, Young, young man or young woman, that I didn't, I didn't talk to people. I didn't, didn't. I kept it all inside my head, uh, and I never, never. I failed. Uh, I failed badly on that account because if I had to talk to someone that time about, you know, whatever the problem was, uh, you know, I just felt that I was drinking for a reason to maybe to dull a bit of pain in some ways. I don't know what it was really, but but I could have talked to 
someone there in the early stages, maybe when I was 17, 18, and it might, might help me a lot. And I didn't. And I failed at that. And I just, if there's anyone listening like that, that's having problems that way, like just, Jesus, talk to your mother or father or talk to, give me a ring if you want. I don't mind. Talk to anyone. Just get it out of your system. You know, just get it out. Yeah. It yeah. has to be, you have to, you just can't keep things inside your head. And if you do, it's going to lead to more bigger problems. And yeah. for for the older people, of course, like I mean, it's nearly the same same thing, I suppose. I suppose everyone's going through a tough time at the moment, but um, I definitely wouldn't be if there's anyone out there that was always doing exercise. I wouldn't be giving it up. Like I'd be kind of doing it. I don't know about doing this a bit more, but I definitely be getting out there and doing something, walking or or, or something like that, just to clear their head, you know, because it's not easy at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and oh yeah, and on you said about yeah. family members there. Well, look, yeah. I mean. I'm only 50% of what, without my wife, I wouldn't be 100%, but I have to say, um, my, if I was if I was here and I didn't, I was tired after working and I didn't want to go for a run, she, my Emma pushed me out the door and she said, look, get out there and do your run, you know, and and then when I come back, I'm, you know, I feel fresher and, and all that, but she knows and she's been, from the day I met her, she's so, been so supportive to me in the running and I don't think every man would be as lucky. And my mom, of course, between the between the two of them, I think look at I, I think they're the two best women in the world anyway. But I suppose look at everyone have their favourites, but they're they're definitely my biggest supporters anyway. And yeah, you know yeah. my kids and and my brother, all my family, uh, kind of family orientated here. So I, I I'm very close to close to everyone here. Yeah, Michael, no. you're 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 a brilliant. I can see you're a brilliant dad. You're a brilliant husband. Um, You've been a brilliant member of the Irish running community and certainly the, the mountain running community as well. So, Michael, a big, big thank you for, for sharing that story with us. And I'm sure it will help a lot of people that are listening. And if anybody is listening and might need a bit of help, please, please, please don't be afraid to reach out. Michael's very, very generous and very kind of yeah. his time. Or even just, yeah, no problem. Yeah. Or even just take out your phone and Google Google alcoholism, Google depression, and lots of different supports will come up on your phone and do make a call and do talk. Michael, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure and good luck with your running. And Michael, fingers crossed that you never know, we might see each other at a Masters Irish team over the next couple of years in Turkey or Poland. And sure, let's bring the kids and the ladies along with us as well. Yeah, perfect, Don. Thanks very much. And just one thing I just wanted to say before I go, if it's okay with you, Owen. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, look at He's not part of my family. He was, I was just, there's, there's a guy I'd like to dedicate the podcast to. I mean, I'm in the horse industry myself. I'm a bloodstock agent by trade. So there's just a guy, he's, he was involved in the horses and looking playing soccer, all that kind of stuff there. And he's in the early 20s there. And about two, two months ago, he took his own life. And it's left kind of the, the whole parish in in in. in like all these friends, uh, I, I just see my Facebook there sometimes and, and they don't really know what to, they don't know what to think or of it all. So I just, I just like to say that like, cause I'm sure to be a lot in the local locality, listen to the, listen to the podcast. Um, I like to dedicate the podcast to this, this chap, um, um, Robert Williams is the chap's name and I'm going to dedicate the podcast to, to him. So just, just yeah. and be supportive to all the young kids around here as well. That's just one of the reasons. Yeah, our, our love and support um, to Robert and all his family, Michael, absolutely 100%. That goes That's out great. to him. 
thanks okay. very much. Thanks very much, Owen, and thanks, thanks very much. And I'll be listening to your podcast in the future. And thanks for everything. Michael, we'll keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Take care. Bye, Bye, Owen. Bye. Thank you. really big thank you to Michael for telling his story there please do share it with friends or family who might be going through a difficult time at the moment do reach out and what an example Michael is for his own family and community and I'll be a lucky and proud man if I get to stand beside Michael at the start line of a race hopefully in the near future or even just to go for a run with him because as we said at the moment racing it's not the most important it's about staying healthy and using our great sports trail running mountain running running no matter where it is to help everybody stay happy and keep ticking over until things hopefully improve in the not too distant future a final shout out guys to our show sponsor a big thank you as always to chorus who came on board there recently and i might just mention the apex pro watch before i sign off it's an incredible watch featuring over 40 hours of battery life the apex pro it really is perfect for anything that the trails or the mountains might throw at you so make sure to check out courses their social media or their new uk and ireland website for more details there until next time everybody have a great week have a great week's training get your running gear on let's go